year, families maybe from that year, and memories from that year. So we're, I think we're on like 1999. We're almost breaking the, uh, the, the millennial barrier there into 2000 in a couple of weeks. But today, once a month, we take a break from that and we look back on the history of our church, uh, past and present, and we just say, hey, who, who is it that, uh, that we can honor? And so uh, we have, the elders have been thinking, and we just, you know, we want to honor everybody, obviously, but especially there are people, maybe who have been here a long time or served in capacities uh, that, in our church for, for many, many years. And so today, it's a very special day for us to be able to honor someone who has been here for about 24 and a half years. And so I'd like to honor this morning Miss Jamie Wagner. So, Jamie, come on up. And Jamie has been with us for 24 and a half years. Now, her last name was Kane when she joined our church. So I'm going to have Ken come in a minute and join her. But for just a moment, uh, we want to recognize just her godly family uh, that joined our church in the very first few days of our church. There they are. That's Rick, he was a deacon here for how many years, do you think? Probably, what year did he pass away? Oh, four, so that'd be probably 12 years. He was here for 12 years, so probably a deacon for about 10 of those years, yeah. It's been a long time ago, I know. It's, it's many, they never met, got to meet Rick, but he was the kind of guy that was quiet. He wasn't up front, um, but... Let me tell you how Rick was known at our church. Easter's coming up, right? So here's Rick. There he is. Every year, Rick was the Easter bunny. Every year. Now, now listen. He took this so serious. I mean, this was something like two months out, he would say, Preacher, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do the Easter bunny again. And I'm like, Rick, it would not be the same without you. We've never had an Easter bunny since. Because, I mean, he's in heaven. The Easter Bunny's in heaven, you know. And uh, there he is. Oh, I love it. I love it. Oh, look at that one. And this is who he was. And kids absolutely loved it. We had fun with it. And we celebrated that day with Easter egg hunts and fun times. And it was just great, great memories. And then, Ken, come join your bride on the platform. Because then comes Ken Wagner. And... You know, it's beautiful when, when, when you can celebrate the past and, and see God's hand in the past and then see God's hand in the present and how God has worked and just been so good to us. Ken was actually on our staff as a single man, just here serving the Lord and uh, just faithful. And I don't remember the accuracy of, I don't want to tell, but I know that Jamie and I kind of had a few conversations as she was single for a little while there and I... I saw that Ken was single, and I thought, this is not good that man and woman should be alone. And uh, so God, God worked all this out. And so we just love the Wagners. And I think we have, a, do we have one more picture there? Of, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I want to read you this. Jamie, this is cool. Yeah, this is back in like 1990, I want to say six. Yeah, so here is, we did this Gospelite Gazette, and I found we got a bunch of them that I found, but I found one where we featured Jamie. So listen to this. Jamie Kane has lived in Hot Springs since she was 16 years old. Jamie, her husband, Rick, and their two sons, Nicholas and Zachary, joined Gospelite. Jamie was saved at Gospelite. She was saved in 1996. I preached a message on John the Baptist, the doubter, and she got saved. I'll never forget that. So you got baptized in the horse trough. 
in the horse trough. There she is. I mean, she's not a horse, but the, the horse trough. Yeah. And uh, Jamie has been on staff at Gospel for six years. She's been an incredible blessing, and she still is on staff, and she's still an incredible blessing. Amen? And uh, she's been the school secretary since the beginning. Now she is the church secretary. Um, Jamie is also involved in junior church, lady soul winning, choir, Operation Ruth, Septuagint Sunday School, all the rest of it. She was just, and still is, so involved. So as a pastor, it's encouraging for me to, to really have been here with you since the beginning. And, and Ken, and you've been here for how long? 13, 13 years. That's a long time. And th- listen, you know, I hate to think of the day when, when, when I can't call Ken... Where is this, Ken? Where do we find this, Ken? How do we fix this, Ken? And Ken always gets the best deal, the best, and just does things in an incredible way. So I have this certificate to present to you uh, from our church for all your faithful years of service, Ken and Jamie, and, and including with that as a dinner uh, with my wife and I. So I love you guys. Congratulations. We love you. Thank you. Love you, too. You didn't know, did you? Okay, good, 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 good. Oh, well, thank you for letting us do that, and this is a special year for us, and so we are doing some special things in addition to everything else. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you need a worship guide, would you raise your hand before we get into God's Word, and just keep it up. These guys will get it to you in the balcony on the main floor. Good to see everybody here today. We're going to finish this sermon series today, and uh, we've been talking about the family, foundations of the family. Uh, we spent two weeks on marriage, and so we focused on the most important relationship, humanly speaking, humanly speaking, while we're here uh, in, in this life. And obviously, this is something we, we, we really took seriously, and we spent a lot of time uh, in, in, in our church services over the past four weeks talking about marriage. Then last week, we talked about parenting and the all-important responsibility that we have as parents. Today, beginning with uh, a little child being dedicated to the Lord, uh, as we see uh, Camilla grow up in our church, and we, we begin to understand the importance of parenting and how that all plays out in our responsibilities, how important that is. Today, we're going to talk about relationships, mainly in the home, although the principles that we're going to be giving this morning are, I think, applicable to every relationship, every relationship. But, specifically, the family today. So please listen. Have you ever anybody say to you, my dad used to say when he would correct me, when he would be just slightly upset with me, the rebuke, the soft reproof, you know, the stern, intense face, he would say, son, wise up. Anybody ever heard that? Wise up. Now, what he meant by that, I figured it out later. When my dad said wise up, it was just another way of him saying this, son, don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. You see, there's two types of people that God says there are. There are wise people and there are foolish people. Wise and foolish. And the Bible says that foolishness, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. It's almost as if God is saying there, look, children are going to be foolish. They're children. You must be strict. You must discipline them. Here are the methods to do it. But while they're children... Please give them a little rope. Give them some time. They need what? Training. That comes over a period of years. That's what the whole message was about last week. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Now, here's the tragic thing. It seems as if we're living in a day where when we become adults, we're still foolish. The Bible says that when I was a child, you know, I I spake as a child. 
all these things. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And it's far too often you see foolishness in adults. 30 years old, 40, 50, continuing with foolishness. Well, this morning, I want to help to solve that problem. Because the Bible says that the number one thing that you don't want to be is a fool. You do not want to be a fool. It is the number one thing in the Bible that you you don't want to be. And so our series on the foundation of the family this morning is going to focus on a cure, a solution to foolishness. But before we can find that solution, we've got to identify what causes it. It's like salvation, right? I mean, salvation begins with an understanding that we are all what? Sinners. We're all sinners. There's none righteous, no, not one. Before you could experience salvation, you you must come to an understanding of your sin. And before you can experience real wisdom from God, you must come to an understanding of the areas in your life that are foolish. So I'm going to ask you to do something with me today. It's going to be very humbling. It's going to take some honesty, not out loud, not publicly, not in this service, but in your heart and maybe in a conversation in the next week. Let's recognize in our own lives where foolishness is. So we can get God's wisdom. Because if we're not willing to admit, I've been foolish in this area, then God will not be able to grant us his wisdom. And so I'm asking all of us to to, to get to that place this morning. So we're going to talk about five features of foolishness. And we're going to try to recognize these in ourselves, in myself, believe me. As you already know, I have not preached this series for the past four weeks, ending today, without quite a bit of transparency. And so I'll continue to do that and ask that you would do the same. So in 1 Kings chapter 3, without you turning there, real quick, that's where we're introduced to this man by the name of Solomon. In fact, you might have known this, but he was a king. Oftentimes in Scripture, he is referred to as King Solomon. So in 1 Kings chapter 3, God comes to King Solomon. And God Almighty says, Solomon, you got a lot on your shoulders, buddy. And I want you to know I love you. I recognize you've got a lot on your shoulders, so here's the deal. God says, and I'm paraphrasing, but in in a conversational way, God said, Solomon, I'm going to give you one wish. Anything you want. You choose it, man. I just, you got a lot on you. What do you want? Wow. If God Almighty were to come to me or to you and say, I know you got a lot on you, what do you want? One wish. I'm thinking the mentality and culture of today says, a billion dollar would solve all my problems. Prosperity would be it. If I could just have more money or more things or more of this or more of that or a longer life, if I could just outlive my problems. But what's interesting is, All Solomon asked for was to have a heart of wisdom. And because Solomon asked for that, God granted him everything else. God honored that that, that wish. He said, "I, I want wisdom above everything else. And so God gave him everything else he could have ever wanted. So can you imagine today sitting down with the wisest man on planet earth? Can you imagine if you and I, if I could introduce right now, and so today as our special guest, I've asked King Solomon to be with us, and he walks into the platform, and we're, we're eagerly sitting on the edge of our seats to hear from the man whom God said is the wisest man in the world. Wouldn't that be cool? 
And I got good news. We can do that. Because we have a book called Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 1, if you notice in your notes, it says the Proverbs of who? Solomon. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And the whole purpose of the Proverbs in verse number 2 is to know what? Wisdom. To know instruction. To understand the words of insight. Church. Solomon, in essence, his words, God's words through Solomon are here today. And you and I can gain wisdom from him. And so let's look at the five features of the foolish family this morning. Number one, the first feature, I want to draw your attention before we give it to you, to Proverbs 14, verse 6. We'll come back to that. Because Proverbs 14, 6 kind of segues into this first thought. Listen to this verse. Here's the first characteristic of a foolish family. If you've got some foolishness in your family, it could be linked to this. One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil. Can you see this man as he leads his family? He's wise. He's wise about to sit. He's cautious. Let's not, let's not bring that into the home. Let's be careful. No, no, that's not a good... That's, he gets advice. Pastor, what, what do you think? Uh, Dad, what do you... He's getting advice. He's cautious. He's careful. Because a fool is reckless and careless. So number one, the first feature of a foolish family is careless feet. Careless feet. A fool never fears until he falls. You see, he's not intentional. He's not focused. The fool walks through life with little direction. He's not cautious about where he goes. Now, you might be thinking at this moment, you would be right. But preacher, we all make mistakes, don't we? Yes, we do. We've already talked about that. We all, we all sin. We all make mistakes. There's going to be times where, where we blow it. So it's not foolish to fall. It's foolish to fall the same way over and over and over and over again. That's foolish. That's careless feet. We need to learn from the mistakes of our past. I'm amazed at how many people are married 25, 30 years still making the same mistakes over and over again. In parenting, we learn, we listen, we hear. But as Butch said, we don't do. And wisdom is more than hearing. It's doing. And so, if our families are going to have strong foundations, we must be very cautious about where we go. You know, I remember my brother used to pastor. I'll give you an illustration here, kind of a personal. My brother used to pastor in Memphis. And so the first time I went to visit him in Memphis, I took my family there. And he lives in outside of Bartlett, Tennessee. So actually, you go through Memphis about 30 miles on the other side of Memphis. I wish it was on this side of Memphis, but that would be West Memphis, so that wouldn't be good. And uh, he, lived on, he lived on the other side of Memphis. And so we were taking our family there. And, and my wife knows this. If there's a weakness I have, a shortcoming, a fuse that blows without focus... Is when I'm lost. When I don't know where I'm going, I'm I'm a worthless human being. I need to be disciplined. I, I just I for some reason that triggers frustration. And so I've worked on it. I say, you know, I've gotten better at it because I've recognized it as a problem. It's just a weakness of mine. So I, you know, I need to number one, I need to be careful not to get lost. That's the best way to, to not <laughs> but but number two, when I do get lost, I need to listen to the voice of my sweet you know, wife, the Holy Spirit, 
of our home, if you will, who says, it's not the end of the world, sweetheart. It's just a few, you know. But in this case, when you miss this exit, it's 10 miles until the next exit. If you don't get off, and the thing is, is it's kind of confusing. Isn't that a good excuse to tell you that it's kind of confusing that these great engineers and architects that form the highways are idiots? And uh, <laughs> have you ever gone to Little Rock and, and, and you know, you, you, you want to go to, I think it's Shackerford or something. Uh, what's that road that leads to the mall? Uh, no, uh, like Cantrell or something anyway, I don't know. I can't remember the, the um, when you go to the, uh, to Chanel, Chanel Parkway, right. Okay, Richard knows because he goes, well, you know that like when you get off and you, I've gone to Baptist Hospital when I really want to go because I get off at that first one instead of going around. And, and to me, it's a little confusing, but I got it down now. But going to Memphis, I missed it 10 miles there, 10 miles back, 10 miles of frustration, 10 miles of everybody in the car saying, shut up. Dad's not happy right now. Let's just be quiet. <laughs> now, the scary thing is, is the next time. I did it again. I passed the exit. And I'm like, oh. I wasn't cussing, but I was thinking cuss words. I wasn't cussing, though. And so I, I and then the third time I did it again. It took me four or five times to, to, to stop this foolishness. The point is I wasn't focused. I would get to that spot. I don't know if there's some sort of distraction. I don't know what it is about that spot that would cause me to be unfocused. But the point of the matter is, is I was careless. I wasn't cautious. How many people have learned this? That if I work too many hours and neglect my family, it leads to breakdowns and heartache. I wonder how many people have learned that. I've learned that. I wonder how many people have learned that if I don't get into God's word myself and nurture my own soul, things start to unravel really fast in my life. If I don't take the time to be with God, things really quickly get out of control in my life. I've learned that. You see, it's foolishness. It's careless feet to have to return again and again and again to the same lessons. It's foolishness. And God says that's a feature of the foolish family, careless feet. Number two, the second feature of a foolish family is quick fist. Quick fist. You see, fools are quick to fight. And anybody who watches sports can see that. In fact, you know, I was watching a game. I talked to Luke about this. Luke's a referee. And Luke uh, agreed with me that this is often a problem as he referees a game. You're oftentimes refereeing tempers and attitudes. And you pretty much can find out early on in the game who the attitude is because it's that way every game. And you kind of go into the game kind of knowing this guy's short-fused, short-tempered. If he gets pushed, he's going to throw a fist. He's going to get in the face. He's going to throw out cuss words. I'm watching the Laker-Milwaukee uh, Buck game the other night, and, and, and people are getting tossed over a foul. He didn't even get fouled. If you look at it closely, and all of a sudden, 18,000 fans are watching people that make millions of dollars get ejected from the game because they're playing a physical game, and it got physical. It's like... Gentlemen, you're getting paid a lot of money to play ball in front of little children. Can we not control ourselves when somebody pushes us a little bit? Because that's kind of part of the game. 
And yet we've got ejections, and it was a very sad state. And, and listen, it, it, it gets worse. If you know anything about sports and have followed sports, you've seen them get in the stands and throw beer on people. It just it gets crazy because it's foolishness to be quick to fight. Listen to Proverbs 18.6. Proverbs 18.6 says, A fool's lips walk right into a fight. In fact, his mouth invites a blessing, a, a beating. He, 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 he literally says, hit me. <laughs> I mean, he just, he just provokes so much with his mouth. He is so quick to want to fight that here is a person that relates socially in a way that makes you want to hit him. That's what, that's what Solomon says to us this morning from God, that a fool walks into a fight. I see this too often in our homes. And yet Proverbs 20 verse 3 says this. It's an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife. Because every fool will be quarreling. But God says, I honor you men. I honor you men who walk away. I honor you. I honor you men that when your wife's having a bad day. Or going through something. That you just Walk away, or you're aloof, or you do not quarrel or fight or defend yourself or say, yeah, but you just realize, you know what? I'm not going to be quick to fight right now. I'm going to be very, very patient and loving. God says, I honor you. But if you want to be a fool, go ahead and fight. Go ahead. Go ahead. Have your way. You fool, God says. See, this is so real, isn't it? Because it's Solomon telling us what God's word says. These are powerful lessons for life. There are three things I see that set people off, and I think these are progressive. In other words, first of all, some people are just set off when they're ignored. That's all it takes. Just ignore them. Just ignore them, and that sets them off. Just simply don't talk to them, and they're going to throw a fit. They're going to be upset. They're going to come back down to your office and say, well, if you're going to be like that, and all of a sudden, all it takes is just a little ignoring, and they're ready to go at it. But it gets worse. Because sometimes it raises to the level, maybe they, they're okay with being ignored. You know, okay, big deal, so they ignored me. I can, I can deal with that. But if they insult me, you say, you call me a name, you call this, you say this to me, you, it's fighting time. An insult. A critical word. Something that just insults my family, well then we're going to go at it. I understand your concerns, but... We're just talking here about what sets people off. The toughest one, though, in this progression is that some people are set off when they're inflicted. Just inflict them physically, emotionally. Some have been inflicted even in their own home sexually. This is hard. This is tough. So all I can do right now is just simply cause you to remember that all of this, everything we're talking about, relates to being a follower of who? Jesus Christ. So if we're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then let's find out how he handled those situations when he was ignored, when he was insulted, when he was inflicted. What I see in Scripture is the number one characteristic of Jesus Christ between the ordeal of Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday was the silence that he gave when he was abused, when he was inflicted, and when he was insulted. Herod and Pilate could not handle it. 
In fact, how many times did Herod or Pilate say, aren't you going to say something? Spit in his face. Punch him in the face. Crucified him. Crown of thorns on his head. All of these things. That's who we are following, that person. He was silent when he was condemned. That is who we are trying to be like. Jesus Christ. And yet we're so easily offended. And we're so quick to fight. And I find it sad that we are often very far from Christ's example. I do believe that Christians should step up when truth is violated. I know we've always got an argument. Well, what about when we're standing for the truth? I agree. We should should stand. But we live in a day when we are silent in regard to the truth. And very vocal in regard to personal injury and personal preference. When it comes to truth, that's been my big thing is I've seen church members fight over personal preference, whether it's music or whether it's a version of the Bible or whether it's something. We, we fight and argue over here. Well, I'm going to have my way and I'll leave. And if you don't like it, and yet we've got truth over here and we let this go. This is no big deal. This over here ought to be stuff that we work at getting along and loving one another and having tolerance. This over here is what we ought to be fighting for, the truth. But we got it the wrong way. That's why Jesus said when they said, should we call down fire from heaven? Let's just kill him. And Jesus said, have you lost your mind? If he's not against us, he's for us. Yo, slow down. Why are you so quick to want to kill somebody? Why are you fighting over that? So that's the feature of a foolish family is quick fist and careless feet. The third characteristic, the third feature is loose lips. Things that are said. Now, let me say this. Foolishness is not funniness. Okay? Because we all like to have fun, don't we? And I believe that joking around and having fun is not contrary to Christianity. So everything's going to be okay for you that like to have fun. Like me. Because we like to have fun. We like, you know, there needs to be a spirit of laughter in the church and of fun in the church. And and we need to celebrate in the church. Jesus loved to laugh. And the Bible exhorts us to have fun. Let's enjoy the Christian life. Let's enjoy coming together on Sundays. I was thinking about a funny story I could tell you just to take a break in this serious sermon. And I thought back over our 25 years and I thought of this funny story. And she's not in our church, but she's Sonia Chittam's daughter named Holland. She, Sonia has uh, Luke, right? He's in our church. Lydia, everybody know Lydia, but Holland. Holland was a very rambunctious, rebellious, outspoken child. And she would often get in trouble. In fact, my mother-in-law, Mrs. Yoshida, to this day said that when she taught Holland for one year, she fasted once a week. And she believes with all of her heart that Holland married a preacher today because she fasted once a week. <laughs> so, but Holland, I'll never forget, Casey Steele. Now, Casey's another old-timer in our church that doesn't go here. She, she lives in another area uh, in Conway, I believe. But Casey came to me one day and she said, Preacher, I don't know what to do with Holland. Holland is just driving me crazy. 
I walk into class and she mouths off every day. First thing, she's mouthing off. And I don't know what else to try. Tried everything. Nothing works. I said, I said Casey, here's what we're going to do. Tomorrow, what time do you get to class? You get, I get there at 7.45. I said, okay, I'm getting there at 7.30. I'm going to get inside the closet in the back of your class. And I'm going to have my devotions in. I'll bring a flashlight because it's pitch dark. I'm just going to sit in the closet and do my devotions. And class starts at 8. And then we'll just, I'll just be there. And she goes, well, what if she doesn't smart off? I said, well, then I'll, I'll just, um, I said, I don't know. I'll just have a long devotions or something. I don't know. I, I said, we'll just see. She goes, well, she should because she does it every day. I said, okay. So I'm in the closet. No, no, this is a true story. I know, you know. So I'm in the closet. Preachers have to say that. This is a true story. So I'm in the closet. And sure enough, Casey starts a class. Okay, children, you may be seated. Holland, you know, you know. Okay, children, you know. She smarts off just like she always did. I'd never experienced it, but I mean, it was like radical, like, whoa, I'm going to kill this kid, you know. I come busting out, I mean, literally like Superman, busting out of the closet. Holland, shit him. You sit down and listen to your teacher. <sighs> she sits down. Casey said for the rest of the year, she walked into class and checked the closet. <laughs> Every single day. And then she walked sheepishly to her desk, sit down and shut up the rest of the day. <laughs> she thought next time I'd come out of the ceiling or she didn't know. When she asked me how I got there, I said, I'm everywhere. <laughs> she says to this day, I just freaked her out, man. It's fun to have fun. So when we talk about loose lips, we're not talking about most humor. We're talking about words that cause pain. We're talking about words that cause injury. Things that are said that should never have been said. For instance, Proverbs 14, verse 3 says this. By the mouth of a fool, Solomon says, by the mouth of a fool comes a rod for his back. But the lips of the wise will preserve them. In other words, here is a man who, who is loose with his lips. He, when you are under pressure, what comes from your mouth? This can be tested by driving in hot springs. During racing season. Well, what comes from your mouth? Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. When words are many. And we're always just throwing words out, loose lips. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. I heard something said that I've never forgotten years ago. I am the master of my unspoken words and a slave to them that should have remained unsaid. I'm a master of the words I don't speak. I still control those words. But I'm a slave to those that I should have not said. That statement has reigned in my life since I heard it many years ago. I share it with you this morning. There's wisdom. Proverbs 17, 28. I love this. Solomon says, even a... I can see Solomon saying, even a fool who is silent, is considered wise. If you can get a fool to shut up, he's pretty wise. 
when he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. Again, this is God's word. Even a foolish person can look like they're wise if he just shuts up. Wow. Then the first, the fourth principle, the fourth feature of a foolish family is roaming eyes. Now, this is one who lacks spiritual perception. This is one who is looking for something. They have what God's given them, but they're always looking for something else. Proverbs 17, 24 says, the discerning sets his face. Now, why does he set his face? Because setting your face is a way to focus your attention. It's a way to say, I'm not looking anywhere else. I'm looking at that which is in front of me. So you see, for 28 years, my wife has been in front of me. I've set my face toward her. But the eyes of the fool are on the ends of the earth. They're looking at everybody. Oh, man, looking up and down and looking over. By the way, gentlemen, just in case you didn't know it, ladies can see where your eyes are. They can see that. So when your eyes are roaming, they know it. And, And see, God knows it. And here's my point. That's foolish. Keep your eyes where they ought to be. Don't have roaming eyes. This is foolish, God says. Always looking for something else. I, I think of those who, who reject the gospel, right? They reject the gospel. They reject the one thing, the one thing that can satisfy the longing in their heart. They reject it. Then guess what they do? They spend the rest of their lives roaming, trying to find it. I find that some people just miss it. God gave you the greatest gift you could have. Why are you looking anywhere else? Why are we constantly trying to satisfy our lust, the lust of our flesh, when God has given us the desires of our heart? So we must not have these roaming eyes. Let me give you some examples of roaming eyes. First of all, they are materialistic eyes. We learned this in Financial Peace University as we've taken this class together Well, I'd be happier if I had this. I know I have this, but this is better. It's always better. It's always something else. Well, I've got one, but I want another one. Whatever that is. Number two, there's distracted eyes. Distracted eyes are... They're eyes that are always moving from fad to fad. This is someone who just always has to have the newest, the greatest, the bestest. Always something new. And then thirdly, there are lustful eyes. Lustful eyes. Because of my sin nature, I've got to be honest and let you know that my eyes are a magnet to sin. I can't, I mean, unless I am focused, unless I am intentional, unless I am living in wisdom, my eyes are going to go places they shouldn't go. It's just the lust of the eyes. It's just the way it is. This is not something that you can stand in pride and say, well, I would never, I know. Oh, you liar. You'd never look. Good night, Noah. If you're a red-blooded, normal man, you, you know what I'm talking about. This is, a, this is work. This is dedication. This is commitment. This is saying, no, no, no. I know the devil would love to ruin me and wreck my life. And I know that. And so in the power of the might of Jesus Christ, I'm going to have wisdom. I'm going to ask for wisdom. I'm going to keep my eyes on things that are in front of me. I know it's not... Very deep. I, I know it's a children's song, but it's very doctrinally correct. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. 
Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, be cautious. Roaming eyes are an accident waiting to happen. Then finally, the fourth feature of a foolish family is, and I think this is the number one feature, I think this leads to all the others, it's plugged ears. Plugged ears. Scripture refers to hearing as much as anything else. Hearing. Not really listening. Plugged ears. Proverbs 12, 15 says this, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. And I know the rest of the verses, the ends thereof are the ways to death. But what does this mean? That the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. This is a person you can't correct. He's like the little kid that says, you tell him something. That's the adult that just can't be corrected. You can't go to this guy. You can't talk to him. I mean, he's always going to give you an answer. He's like the little kid. that He's got his ears plugged. He's not going to hear because his way is always the right way. He never listens to the input of anybody else. And I want to say this this morning. My testimony is this. I don't know about you, but primarily, primarily the way that I have known the will of God is by listening to the input of others. Doug, more than even hearing a word from the Lord. And I do believe that. And I'm working on a message about that. And yet, I do believe that even more for me than, you know, okay, Lord, I'm just going to open the Bible, just speak to me. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, okay, I missed that one, I'll try again next I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't work. But I really believe sometimes, have you ever walked out of church and said to the preacher, who told you? Were you in my closet this week? <laughs> you know what I mean? We were just talking about that. I mean, are you following me around? No, I'm not. But God oftentimes will use a person, a friend, a mentor, a pastor to speak to us the will of God. And we hear it and yet we reject it and, and we live in, in this, in, really in this way that says, no, 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 I know what's right. So we must be teachable. Proverbs 17.10 says this. A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding. So if you are a man of understanding. Like for instance. If Ezekiel will be a young man of understanding. Then one rebuke will go deep into his heart. He'll get it. He'll say. Alright. That's my dad. He's speaking into my life. I'm going to listen. Or. If he's a fool. I could beat him over the head a hundred times with a paddle. With a stick. With a And he still wouldn't get it. But a rebuke goes deeper into a wise man. That's how you can tell if somebody's wise or not. You just have to tell them one time. They get it. They they listen. They're teachable. They listen to input. So are you teachable? Well, let's look at four ways to be teachable in closing. Number one, I'm teachable when I get a lot of input. When I get input into my life and I'm I welcome that input. I welcome those ideas. I want to hear from someone else. I'm not easily offended. I, 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 I know that I don't know it all, and I want to know how you feel. What are your thoughts? This man receives input, so he's teachable. Secondly, you know you're teachable when you see measurable growth and character development. You know you're teachable. 
For instance, you know, th- this is someone who they're, they're, they're changing and, 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 and they're learning things that's producing results in their life. I love to see this in my sons. You know, I, I saw this, Mo and I were talking last night late and, and I was, we were talking about a few things coming up on Teen Revolution and I was speaking some things and I was watching as Mo heard my input, I was watching the wheels spin. And he was already beginning to implement some of the thoughts. And I'm like, you all right? What you doing? He goes, I'm just, I, Dad, I'm working on some stuff. You just, and he's working. And for about two hours, he put some things together that I, I just spoke into his, some ideas. This weekend was Zoe and Chloe's first weekend at Kilwins, right? So they had to work yesterday from one to eight. Now, Chloe was cool, but Zoe, the first thing Zoe said when we walked out of Kilwins with his hours were, Dad! It's the National Basketball Tournament. I mean, come on, one to eight, all the primetime games. And I'm like, well, son, this is where you grow up. See, this is where you realize this is real life. You either watch Butler. I mean, who cares about Butler? You're not going to watch Butler all year long except for in the tournament because you got a bracket and you want to know if they win. Who cares about Butler? Or you can go to Kilwins, make a hundred bucks. I mean, I'm talking about a Benjamin Franklin. I mean, a hundred dollars goes a long way. And you know, he didn't blink an eye. He said, yeah, I know that. I'm going to work. See, I like to see that because that's character development. He's, he's listening. Oh, he's got, he'll have, he'll have those complaints. He'll bring those grievances. And they're, they're legit. By the way, I watched all the games yesterday. I, th- <laughs> I work all week, man. I sat on t- I was texting the scores. He'll be good. <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> number three, when you don't have to answer your critic with a defense, you know you're teachable. Because critics are going to come, and they're going to critique us, and they're going to have words for us. Believe me, as a pastor, I got a church full of critics. I mean, everybody's got an opinion. And you know what? Everybody deserves an ear, and many times they're right. In fact, sometimes our critics have a lot of evaluation that is worth listening to. They're trying to help us, and even if they're trying to hurt us, there's still going to be some value in in their, in their critique. And so I don't have to fight back. I don't have to say, you done? Well, let me tell you something. See, this is what happens in marriages, you know. We just go back and forth. Well, I don't like it. Well, I don't like that. Well, you do this. Well, you do that. And I'm like, oh, man, another one of these. These are not teachable people. They're just throwing stones at one another because they're not willing to listen to the critique of their spouse. See, so we've got to be careful, even with our children. Moms and dads, you know, we need, we need to actually pull sometimes our children's critique out of them towards us. It'll help us become better parents because there's mistakes we're making that they are afraid to tell us. My own kid, I've had to say, no, no, just, I, I need to be, go ahead, hurt me. I want to hear it. And then number four, you know you're teachable when you're hearing different things. Not the same stuff. Some of us just need to move on to the next thing. See, that's, that was my struggle. 
for years, I was this stick in the mud, stuck in a rut. You couldn't change me. You couldn't. It didn't matter what you said. I was going to do it this way, this version, this song, this hymn book, this. And I'm stuck. And I'm, I mean, I am not going to change. I'm just, this is, bless God, Jesus never changed. I ain't changing. And the whole world's advancing and churches are growing. And everybody's writing books, but I can't buy the books because those men, uh, they're not exactly... It's the stupidest thing. I was a fool. I was a fool. I mean, I'm not willing to listen. And I don't believe we should throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, there's stuff, there's good stuff that we have done and need to keep doing. But can I tell you something? When we are willing to, to try different things, God says, thank you. I, I need you to change. I need you to grow. I need you to try different things. I want to take you from there to here, but you're so stuck in your ways. You won't even listen. God wants us to listen. Take your hands off your ears and just say, God, make me uncomfortable. I'll work through it. I want to advance. I want to grow. I want to become more. And God says, I've been trying. Listen to me. Be teachable. The answer to foolishness is wisdom. It's wisdom. And wisdom is not just what I know. Wisdom is what I do. You see, now you know. Congratulations. You know. All right. You know. What good is that? Brother Butch, what good is it? Now we just know. So we're all sitting here and we know. If we stayed awake, we know. If we fell asleep, well, podcast. But we know. So what's the deal? What do we do? We got to do something about what we know. Now it's small groups. Now it's honesty. Now it's so, sweetheart, I'm ready. I'm not going to say a word. Which one? Am I most guilty of? I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. Embrace yourself. And don't say anything. Just listen. And, and, then, and then reverse it. Do the same thing. Because this is what will help us to become what we need to become for God. Listen to me. Matthew chapter 7, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, there's a foolish builder and there's a wise builder. The foolish builder takes sand and he builds his house upon the sand. And what happens when the storm comes and the winds come and the rains come? It falls. It's built on sand. But then there's the house that's built on a rock. And Jesus said, this rock, this, this house, the storms come, the winds come, the rains come just like the other one. But this one is standing still. What's the difference? Read it. Matthew 7, 24, 5, 6, and 7 The difference is this. Both hear the word of God, but only one does something about it. You see, everybody in this audience is not guilty of skipping church today. Y'all came, but what's sad is, is many of us, all we do is attend church. We don't live church. We just attend. We come, we punch in, we clock in, and we feel really good about, I got my sermon notes, it's good. We're all good. Amen. Till next week. Let's take it now and let's do something about it. Let's talk about it. Let's let God chisel away at our lives and make us better husbands, better children, better families, better wives. Every head bent, every eye closed, with our heads bowed and eyes closed. I always hate.